0: I'm broadcasting this week from Word of Life Church, Logan, West Virginia. If you're just logging on, take a minute to share the broadcast. Um, We're talking about today 13 actions that ensure you get your prayers answered. You know, one of the things that people ask, you know, I get text messages, I get uh, different messages through the website, whatever. People have prayer requests, a lot of prayer requests. People need a touch from God. But one of the things that uh, is asked often. Hey, Jerry. People wonder why are my prayers not being answered? Why am I not seeing the breakthrough that I'm believing for? What's up with that? Like, why, why does it seem like uh, that I'm struggling to to see a, a miracle take place in my life? Well, the key becomes uh, you have to do it the Bible way, and the Word of God outlines. Uh, the ways that we can interact with God successfully. You know, it's the thing about it is when you when you look at God as a King, and understand Jesus is King, you don't you don't just approach a King any way that you want to and expect Him to respond. You approach Him in the way that He has created, and in the Word we have uh, different ways that we approach God. Things that He set as parameters that when we're looking to get our prayers answered and to have an experience of his power, we do it his way, not our way. And I put down uh, 13 things that the Bible says. I'm gonna, I won't obviously take a long time on each one, but I do want you to make notes on this because it does, uh, it will benefit you greatly to understand what the Bible says. These are things that if they're not observed, they can hold your prayers back from being answered. know, people think prayers are just automatically answered. It doesn't work that way. In fact, did you know that the Bible says there are prayers that God doesn't even hear? And we've taught on that. And by the way, if you'd like to go in depth on teaching, uh, on our teaching in prayer, we put out uh, a course on Miracle Word University entitled Answered Prayer, And you can get that, and it's available now at miraclewordu.com. Miracle word, the letter U.com. That answered prayer course has about five hours of teaching about what the Bible says on how to get your prayers answered, and so you can you can check that out. Gloria asks a question in the comments: Can I fast while I'm pregnant? If you saw, we just put out our book on fasting and prayer uh, for this year. And uh, the question Gloria is asking is one of the questions that I answered in the frequently asked sections uh, question section, which is uh, I I recommend no, all doctors recommend no. Um, Gloria, you'll have plenty of time to fast and pray uh, after your child is born, but it's a bad idea uh, to fast while you are uh, pregnant. That baby needs nutrients; it's growing and all that. So we we never encourage people to fast while they're pregnant uh, and even breastfeeding mothers uh, need nutrients for that baby. So take care of the blessing God gave you. There'll be plenty of time in your Christian life to fast and pray, but don't stop praying while you're pregnant. Keep on praying, but save the fasting for afterwards. Um, We're going to jump in 13 things. I want you to put them down. You can put them in the comments section again. If you have not yet uh, taken a minute to share the broadcast, share it. It's going to be a great day. I'm gonna give them to you one at a time. Uh, I'll give you scriptures to go with them. I'll explain it a little bit, but this would be a great uh, deeper study for you. If you wanted to write these 13 things down and in your own personal um, devotional time, take more time with each one. Look at the scriptures. Find scriptures to compare and get this into your heart because here's why I say this. God doesn't want us to go through life with our prayers not being answered. He doesn't want us to uh, continue to be a prayer project for the rest of our lives, where I was joking about it in the service yesterday. I <laughs> was like, you know, there's some people that have just been like, for the last 20 years, Pastor, just keep me lifted up in prayer. Pastor, if you would just keep me lifted up in prayer this week, devil's been after me. Keep me lifted up. And it's like, that's how they live their life. Keep me lifted up. Keep me on the prayer list. Keep me... When are we going to be people who our prayers are answered and now we are ministering to other people we've come out of crisis mode and now we're into the place where we're bringing deliverance to other people and so that's what we're dealing with today why is it that some people seem like their prayers are just answered uh supernaturally all the time you see it it's like man it seems like they're living on cloud nine other people it seems like they're just struggling 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 to have answers to prayer, we're going to deal with that today, and so put these in the comments as we go through them. Take notes on the scriptures, and uh, and let's get started. Number one, the first thing that and there's the for those of you that are watching uh, on YouTube, there's the link for the Miracle Word U course. I'm sure it'll come up on Facebook as well. The number one, the first thing that is literally a key in action that you've got to have working in order to see your prayers answered consistently. Number one, a humble heart. That's so key. It's foundational when you understand what God's looking for in his children. What is God looking for in his children? And one massive key, and I would say that this is the foundational key, which is why I put it first. It's a humble heart. Humility attracts God. I want you to see that. Put it in the comments uh, as you're writing, number one, a humble heart. But I want you to write this down because if you'll remember this key, it will change your life forever. This will change your life forever. Humility attracts the power of God. Humility attracts the presence of God. In fact, I'm in James chapter four, and uh, I'm gonna read you just a few verses. The Bible says in James four, And verse six, um, but he gives more grace, speaking of God. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So one thing we need to see right off the bat is that God, his presence, his power, his ability, it is attracted by humility and meekness. A humble heart. Let me just dispel uh, anything right now that people have heard for you. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Just because you live humbly, just because you live with a meek spirit, doesn't mean you're weak. You don't always have to be screaming and yelling at people and speaking your mind. You know, those people do that. I I speak my mind. If you can't handle that, then you can't handle me. Maybe you shouldn't speak your mind. Maybe you should keep it to yourself. Uh, Maybe you should be slow to speak and quick to hear. You see what I mean? So one of the things that uh, we got to keep in our mind is humility actually attracts the presence of God. Meekness attracts the presence of God. I love this, the way it's stated In James 4, God opposes the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. So notice that. I I never want to get to a place in my life where God is actively opposing me. (laughs) I never want to find myself in a place where God is actively opposing my life. You know what does that? Pride. Pride. Pride will keep you from having your prayers answered. People that walk in pride, live in pride, it's it's destructive. It will keep you from having your prayers answered. So what do we do? We continually live with a heart check. Is pride trying to creep in my life? Is pride creeping up in my speech? Is it creeping up in how I treat people? Is it creeping up in how I conduct myself? And if it, if you can see that it is, you have to push it out the door immediately and make a choice. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be meek. you know. And that's, that's not an easy thing to do all the time because one of the things you'll find is that the more you serve God, the more you see what's going on in life. Uh, there are times where, as I said with the fruit of the Spirit, everybody is not the easiest to interact with. You've seen that. You've learned that. Not everybody is the easiest to interact with. And there's sometimes a temptation to let your flesh rise up and just go, you know, your flesh wants to take over every minute of every day. It's warring against your spirit, man. So yes, no question, it's not always easy to walk in humility and meekness, but you make yourself do what the Bible says. You don't ever want to find yourself in a place where God's opposing your life actively. You want to see a place where God's just handing out grace to you. More grace. Here's more grace. Here's more favor. Here's That's what you want to see. And so, number one is a humble heart. The first thing we've got to ensure operating in our life. A humble heart. Number two, the second thing, if you want to see answers to prayer, then you need to, to have scripture to stand on. That's number two. Scripture is to stand on. One of the biggest uh, mistakes that I see is that people are praying things that aren't even scriptural. You know, it's a mistake to try to pray things that aren't even scriptural. So number two, put it in the comments, I need scripture to stand on. I have a humble heart, but now I'm finding verses of scripture that are my backing in prayer. In fact, Jeremiah 1.12, uh, the Bible says that God is watching over his word to perform it. He's watching over his word to perform it. That's Jeremiah 1.12. Uh, further, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 138 and verse two that God has magnified his word even above his name. One translation says it this way, that he has backed up his word with all the power of his name. So that means that his, his name, his reputation, if you will, is the element that backs up his word. You know, that's that's the thing. Your, your word is only as good as your reputation, right? If you've ever interacted with somebody that you know is a liar, they can make all kinds of promises to you. It doesn't matter what they promise. They're like, you know what? I don't even believe that guy because he's always lying. Well, you you know why you don't believe his word? Because you know he's a liar. And that's what the psalmist is saying. We know that your word is good because you have backed up your word with all the power of your name. And we know the Bible says that God cannot lie. God cannot lie. You, You know what? Jesus Christ said, I am the truth. Think about that for a moment. He said, I am the truth. He didn't say, I speak the truth. He said, I am the truth. That, that'll shake you up. I heard Pastor Adeboye preaching one time. And he said, do you know why God hates lying so much? He hates lying because he is the truth. Think about that. He hates lying because he is the truth. So when people lie, it is directly opposed to the nature of, and character of God himself, of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the truth. So he backs up his word with the power of his name, magnifies his word above his name. And then we have this. I remember when I was in Bible school with Brother Kenneth Hagin, I'm going to John 15 if you want to follow me. John chapter 15, the gospel. We had him for an entire half of a year teaching a prayer course. Brother Hagan was teaching the course on prayer. And um, as he was teaching the course on prayer, he would open to the same verse of scripture every single morning. Think about that. And never exhausted it. He said, now we're going to go to the verse that we've been using on teaching on prayer, which was John 15 and verse number seven. This is the text that Brother Hagan used in our class And never got on. Of course, he quoted other scriptures and taught from other scriptures. But we started here every day. And this was the theme text for the whole course John 15, 7. And um, if you know this passage, Jesus is speaking about the fact that he's the true vine and that we're the branches. And as long as we are connected to him, we will produce fruit. And it will come to pass. Look at this now. And I want to start reading. with um let's see verse number well let's let's go ahead and start with verse 5 listen to this i am the vine and you're the branches <clears throat> whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now look at verse seven, very important. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See that now. Notice the two things. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So the word has to be in you. What are we showing you for number 2 here? The fact that you've got to have scripture to stand on. That's what we're looking for. Scripture to stand on. Scripture. Why? Because God God doesn't honor our feelings, our emotions, doesn't honor our thoughts. He honors his word. He he honors his word what he said is what he will do. So you can't ask God to do something that's contrary to his word and then expect him to answer that prayer. It's like I've used this story on the on the broadcast before, but it's because Brother Hagin used it in this class because he was trying to prove this point. And he said, you know, you have, you know, there's people that'll try to ask God for things that are totally unscriptural. And he had a guy in his church when he was a pastor that said, Brother Hagin, Would you agree in prayer with me? He said, sure. What are you praying for? He said, well, you see that woman over there in the church? I want you to believe that she'll be my wife and let's join our faith together. He said, the problem with that man's prayer was the man already had a wife and that woman already had a husband. God's not going to answer that prayer. God's not going to bring an end to two marriages to form a second marriage, you know, another marriage. It doesn't work like that. It's not in his word. There's no scripture to stand on and it's not something he'd do. So you see people end up praying prayers that are unscriptural. I was sitting in a service one time. Think how dumb this is, what I'm getting ready to tell you. Think how stupid of an idea this is. And a preacher said it. I was in a service where a preacher said this. He said, um, uh, my, my family member was battling and in the hospital. My family member was on the hospital bed. There was a disease they were diagnosed with. It was in their body. And I stood next to that hospital bed. And I began to pray, oh Lord, take that sickness off of my, I think it was his daughter, take that sickness off of my daughter and put it onto me instead. That was the prayer that this dude prayed in the hospital room. What a dumb thing to pray. You know, just from a logical point of view, I thought to myself, well, that's dumb because if you've got enough faith, believe God can take the sickness off of your daughter why not just have him like throw it back to hell where it came from why does he have to then take it and put it on your body God doesn't do that and obviously God didn't answer his prayer well because God doesn't answer prayers like that what a foolish way of thinking God take the sickness off of her and put it on to me that's not in scripture find me one scripture where God operates that way Find me one scripture where God operates that way. It doesn't work that way. And you don't get your prayers answered by just flippantly saying things out of soulish emotion. It's soulish soulish emotion. God doesn't honor soulish emotion. He honors his word above his name. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. Amen. So I want you to see this now. Number 3. So number 1, a humble heart. Number 2, scripture to sand dog. Good morning, AJ. Number 3. What listen to how I word this. An attitude of faith with the absence of doubt. An attitude of faith with the absence of doubt. Notice that that man in the in Mark chapter 9 that brought his son to Jesus who was demon possessed, he said um Lord, do anything if you can. And Jesus responded, what do you mean if I can? All things are possible to him who believes. And what was the man's response? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Notice that. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You've got to get unbelief out. You've got to get doubt out. And and we know that to be true. We can't have both and expect our prayers to be answered. Again, Let me direct your attention to uh, the book of James, chapter one. This is a very familiar scripture to those of you that are, you study your Bible, you read your Bible. Morning, Brenda. Brenda's watching from Nashville, Georgia. Glad to have you on. James chapter one. This is number three now, An an attitude of faith with the absence of doubt. Attitude of faith with the absence of doubt. Why? Because you can't have both and expect to receive answers to prayer. James chapter 1 and verse uh, 17, you know what the Bible says? Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from who? The Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of change. So you see that? Every good thing comes from God. So when you've got this mixed up mindset that, well, you know, sometimes God makes you sick for a less, teach you a lesson, or make you a better believer, make you a stronger believer. And sometimes he drags you through trials and tribulations to keep you. And if that's the way you believe, now I'm not talking about persecution. I'm talking about things Jesus redeemed you from. Talking about sickness and disease. And I'm talking about the things that, because you'd have to, you, in the same breath, you'd have to say, well, sometimes God makes me sin just to know how to depend on him as a uh, uh, someone who forgives me constantly. No, God doesn't do that. And the Bible says that when uh, a man is tempted, don't ever let him say, I'm tempted of God. Bible says that. Don't let a man say, if he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. And so God doesn't do that. Well, if you jump up a few verses to verses six, seven, and eight of, of James one, you're gonna see why this is so dangerous to put the wrong attributes onto God, like, well, he's the one making me sick, he's the one that's causing me to sin, he's the one causing me to be poor and broken and hurting, he's the one that ended my marriage. If that's the way you believe, you have a a wrong thought process about God. Listen to verses six through eight. Uh, Let him ask in faith with no doubting. With how much doubting? No doubting. How much? None. None. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that they can receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So notice that. That instability in your thinking, according to Scripture, causes you to miss out on receiving anything from the Lord now in context what is this passage talking about praying to God for wisdom that's what verse 5 is talking about its praying. if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and will not rebuke him for asking so in context the prayer is for wisdom but then James opens it up and says if you've got doubt in your heart if you're if you're double-minded that person should not think that they'll receive anything, not just wisdom, anything from the Lord because he's a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. So an attitude of faith with the absence of doubt. People say, well, how do you get to that place? You know, how do you get to the place where you've got an absence of doubt and you're filled with faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more you pump your spirit full, of hearing the word of God, preaching, teaching, studying for yourself. Your faith is built by that action. Your faith is built, doubt has to go as you believe the word of God, as you hear preaching and teaching and you keep that in your spirit. I mean, you know, I understand the importance of this, which is why we try to give you so much content to build your faith. For example, that's why we continually broadcast daily. It's why we have Miracle Word Radio that's 24-7 nonstop teaching and preaching. It's why we created Miracle Word University so that we could have courses to build your faith topically. It's why I produce books. It's why I produce anything we do. We wanna build your faith and get the word of God into your spirit because I understand the importance of having the word in you so that faith arises and doubt runs out the back door. Amen. And so you gotta understand that. The third thing we have is an attitude of faith with the absence of doubt. A humble heart, scripture to stand on, faith with the absence of doubt. Number four, the fourth thing we need to have is a thankful spirit. Put that in the comments. A thankful spirit. When you live in thanksgiving, that is another thing that brings answers to prayer, that provokes the presence of God, when you begin to thank him, when you begin to thank him, when you begin to thank him. You know, uh, if you've listened to my uh, teaching on or read the book that I put out on fasting, people say, well, how should you pray? You know, what's your your, uh, method of praying? How should you pray? How should you pray when you're fasting? I created something for my own self that I call a thanksgiving and praise sandwich. People are like, what in the world's a thanksgiving and praise sandwich? I sandwich my requests unto God with thanksgiving and praise on one side and thanksgiving and praise on the other side. If I were to look at it as the center is the meat and cheese or whatever else, the, the, the requests, Lord, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to bring to pass. I start though, the two pieces of bread on either side are thanksgiving and praise and thanksgiving and praise. So if I were to take an hour to pray, people say, well, what would you do in an hour of prayer? The way that I structure myself in an hour of prayer is I take the first 15 minutes to thank God for the things he's already done. I go back into my past, what he's just done recently, I'll begin to thank him for what he's already done. And then I'll praise him for what he's already done because he's the only one that can accomplish those things. So I'll take the, as I enter into his presence, and I'll tell you this, many times I will pray in tongues. And the reason I'll pray in tongues is because Paul taught the church in Corinth that when you do pray in the spirit, you are giving thanks unto God. He said, though others can't understand you, uh, you are giving thanks unto God well enough. So praying in the spirit is uh, a type of thanksgiving. So I'll start, I'll pray in the Holy Ghost and then I'll thank God in English and then I'll praise God in English before I ever start to make my requests known unto God. Um, Shelby has a question on Facebook. She said, when I pray, I want zero doubt, but the thoughts always creep in. I never do speak it though. Will my prayer still work even though there are thoughts and I don't speak the thoughts? How can I get rid of the thoughts? I don't want them there. Great question, and this is the answer to that. Um, You can always have thoughts that will try to come at you. And the Bible tells us that, which is why Paul taught Shelby that you've got, we all have to learn to take every thought captive and make it obey Jesus Christ. So thoughts will come because here's the thing, if thoughts didn't come or if they, if you had no chance of ever having an adverse thought come to you, there'd be no reason to take the thoughts captive. You don't need to take spiritual thoughts captive. It's the ones that oppose the word of God. It's the ones that oppose Jesus Christ. So Paul taught the church that when those thoughts come at you, you take those thoughts captive and you make them obey Christ. And one of the ways to do that is you, and I like how Paul said this, you set your mind on things above, set your mind. You can set your mind like it's a thermostat because if this room was 72 degrees, but I wanted it to be 68 degrees, all I'd have to do is go back and set the thermostat. And after a while, this room would go from 72 to 68 because I'd set it. And you can set your mind in the same way. I don't want thoughts like that. I don't want meditations like that. You know, the key is, the key is when those thoughts come, they might pop into your head, but you don't meditate on them. I've had people say that. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I used to have young people say that to me. They'd say, well, I can't control the thoughts that are popping into my head. Maybe not. But you can control whether or not you dwell on those thoughts. You can control whether or not you meditate on those things. And that's the key, Shelby, is that you don't meditate on those things. It might try to come against you. You put it out of your mind and you begin to thank God that the opposite is true. You say, well, you're never going to get your miracle. No, Lord, I thank you that I am going to get a miracle. I thank you that I... Notice, it's not your thought life that determines what you receive. It's your speaking life that, that determines what you receive. The reason the thought life is so important is because if people continue to meditate on the wrong thoughts, you know what happens? It does affect what they say. If you meditate on the wrong thoughts for too long and let it fill your heart, what does the Bible say? Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. So yes, the thought life is important, but your prayers, your, your answers are not thwarted by your thoughts unless they become words. Catch that. My prayers are not thwarted by my thoughts unless those thoughts become words. Because God honors what you say. God honors by what you do in action by faith, not what thought popped into your head. So it's a great question. But what I would do is when those thoughts pop in, I would just begin to declare the opposite of what those thoughts are. You know, you're praying for healing, but that thought pops in, well, you know, God doesn't do that anymore. You know, that's one thought that pops in because people have heard that. Well, God doesn't do those things anymore. Then you just immediately begin to say, Lord, I thank you that your word says that you do not change that you are the Lord, our God, you do not change. I thank you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you were healing back then, you're healing now. And I take authority over that thought that says that you don't do those things anymore because I thank you your word declares that your nature and your character are consistent for eternity. And what you are, you are. And what you do, you do. So I thank you that today in 2021, you are still my healer. You're still my deliverer. And you'll feel faith hit you you'll feel faith hit you as you begin to declare what God's word says. So part of that uh, proper thought life is you doing number three, having an attitude of faith with no doubt, which is combined with number two, having scripture to stand on. Notice that I used the scripture that I was standing on to declare against the thoughts that were coming against me so that I could remain in a thankful heart, in a praiseful heart. And uh, that's that's number five, by the way. Number four was a thankful spirit. Number five is a premature praise. Put that in the comments. A premature praise. What is a premature praise? You know, people. You you ever watch those? um, They have YouTube clips of um, guys that um, like sports, sports uh, clips athletes that celebrated too quickly. I don't know if you've ever seen those as you're scrolling through uh on YouTube, but they'll have these they'll have these like compilation videos of athletes who celebrated too quickly. So it's like a guy that starts doing, you know, he'll start he's running the football down the field and by the time he starts getting to like the 20-yard line, the 15-yard line, and he doesn't even know there's somebody like close on his tail, but he'll start like celebration running like as he's coming in and it slows him down and boom, he gets hit from behind and doesn't get the touchdown. Or or there's boxers or UFC guys that'll start showboating before the fight's over and then get knocked out. and And it's because they've celebrated too quickly. But in the body of Christ, The opposite is true. You want to celebrate early. You want to praise God like it's already done now. You want to lift your hands and begin to magnify the Lord because he's good before the miracle ever comes to pass. Why? Because by you doing that, you're saying, Lord, I thank you that you will do what you said you would do. It actually shows God that you believe he will come to pass, what he said will come to pass before it ever does which means, Lord, I believe your word's true. Think about this, what is faith? What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, but it's the evidence, watch this, of things not seen. That's huge, because faith doesn't go by what you see in the natural. Faith goes by what it sees in the supernatural. Premature praise. Why? Though it hasn't happened yet, my faith says I have what I haven't even seen yet. So what am I going to do if I really believe that? I'm going to praise God like it's already done. Premature praise. That's number five. A premature praise. Let's go on to number six. An active confession. You know, we need to discipline ourselves to do this more than we ever have. That's number six: an active confession. An active confession. What does that mean? Discipline yourself to just declare things throughout the day. Discipline yourself. You know, one of the things that a friend of mine, Pastor Brian Wright, did, is that he had a confession that he wanted to have. He and his family, and I'm sure some of his staff, begin to declare these things over themselves. You know, and um. And and we do it, you know, at night with with the kids. You know, what is our trigger as as parents? For me and Carolyn, our trigger for our confession with the kids is bedtime. So we don't just pray before bedtime, but we all, as a family, we confess the things that we found in Revelation chapter five, and uh, the where the Bible says, "Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth." And we go through the whole thing. So, what do we say with the kids? And when we say "repeat it after me," I'm powerful. I'm wealthy. I'm wise. I'm mighty. I have honor. I have glory. I have blessing. I'm thankful. You know, I go through all the, all these things. Now we've added on a bunch more. But what's our trigger for that confession? Bedtime. My my friend, Pastor Brian Wright. What's his trigger? Well, uh, anytime he'll look down at his watch. I mean, have you ever seen this happen? Where like you'll look at your your phone or you'll look at your watch. Now, one thing I've heard people say is, you know, hey, it's 333, make a wish. It's 111, make a wish. It's 1111, make a wish. You know, it's 555, make a wish. But what he'll do, and I've been with him multiple times when he's done it, is that he'll see it on his watch or he'll see it on his phone. Hey, it's 1111. But instead of saying, like, make a wish or something like that, he'll launch right into his confession about his family. Hey, it's 1111. We walk in a yoke-breaking anointing and a debt-free anointing, and he'll just go right into it. He'll just go right into confessing. An active confession. You can have what you say. I'm not actually ashamed of this. I mean, there's people that mock this type of Christianity. Oh, you're one of those name it and claim it Christians, are you? Like, there's all these people. They've gotten so smart that they've just basically ignored what the Bible says at this point. You know, there's people that can get so uh, deep that they can explain themselves out of the entire Bible. Christians. Christians. Explain themselves out of the entire Bible. Well, that what Jesus said there wasn't really for us, it was just for that one apostle, is it? No. Now, what's the point of us having the Bible at all? You know, and I understand not everything in the Bible is written to Christians, but you know, you have to recognize that it is all God's inspired and errant word, and it's there for us to learn, and it also is there to inspire our spirits to live by faith. And you, listen. If you don't understand that speaking by faith is a New Testament principle for the church, you've not read your Bible. You can have what you say. We believe, therefore we speak, the Bible says. Jesus told his disciples to speak things out, to speak to the mountain. You can begin to speak things by faith. The same creative power that is in God's mouth is in your mouth. You can speak the word. What happens when you speak the word and it goes forth? It accomplishes, it accomplishes. That's the whole way Jesus operated. Speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Cast your nets to the other side. Let down your nets for a catch. Go pick up a fish. The first fish you find, it'll have a coin in its mouth. Jesus spoke things into existence. Spoke things into existence. And you gotta get it. An active confession. Every day. You know what I can encourage you to do if you don't have one? Write one out. Write one out. And then if you have to carry it with you in a little card in your wallet or in your purse or put it on the dashboard of your car or put it on the mirror in your bathroom or whenever you're getting ready for work or whatever, go through your confession until you've memorized it. And then you can rattle it off at any point in the day. And you can declare that I'm the head and I'm not the tail. I'll never suffer. The story of this world will never be my story because I have covenant with the Most High God who is a healer, who is a provider, who is a deliverer, who is the Great Shepherd. Who And you can go right through it and declare it by the word. Put scripture to it and declare it on a daily basis. When you have an active confession, it's one of the keys that brings breakthrough and answers to prayer. Don't pray something and then let your confession negate your faith and what you've asked God for. You know, how dumb is it to be like, Father, I pray you'd heal my uncle. He's in the hospital right now he's battling cancer I pray you heal him right now send the anointing to his body heal him with that cancer and then throughout the week you're like well you know I, don't, I really don't know if Uncle Jake's gonna make it you know he's uh, you know he's really bad I don't think he I don't know if he'll make it through the night the meanwhile you just prayed for healing over here you're now confessing that Jake's not going to make it I don't know if he'll make it through the night I don't know if he's gonna I don't know if he's gonna to survive this might be the last time we see him you know he's a and, and then you're letting your confession negate the things you've prayed might as well just not pray Just don't pray if that's the way you're going to do it. But align your confession with your prayer. So if I say, Lord, I'm praying that you heal my Uncle Jake. I pray you heal him. Uh, I pray you touch him. I curse cancer, command it to shrivel and die, pass from his body. And then you're going through your day. What are you going to do? Lord, I thank you that my Uncle Jake is healed. I thank you that cancer is dying. I thank you, Lord, that cancer is leaving his body. I thank you, Lord. And then you just go through thanking God. And say, thank you, Lord, you're a healer. I thank you, you're in that hospital room right now and healing virtues throwing Jake, flowing through Jake's body. And the, the anointing's touching him right where he is. And don't let your confession negate your prayers. Don't contradict yourself. Confession, prayer. I was mocking it yesterday in the church here and saying like, you know, you grew up in one of those atmospheres where it's like... um." You know, you grew up in the country and you hear all kinds of people. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm hanging in there, buddy. How you doing? You know, it's like, really, that's how you're doing? You're hanging in there? When the word of God says that you're more than a conqueror? That you are victorious, that God has given you the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're victorious, you're seated in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and and rulers and dominion, every name that's named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. All things are under your feet because they're under Jesus' feet and you're seated next to him on the right hand of the Father. And you're going to tell people you're hanging in there? So, well, you're nitpicking, brother. No, I'm talking about confession. Is it true or is it not true? Because if it's true, then it's my reality. And if it's my reality, I'm going to say it. If it's not true, then there's no reason to say it. But stop contradicting your prayers and your identity with confessions that are just fleshly and soulish. Don't Don't let it take place for you. What's next? So number one, two, three, four, five, six. Now we're on to number seven. The seventh key, a holy lifestyle. I'll have to kind of hurry through these last ones. Number seven, a holy lifestyle. Living a holy life. Free from sin. Here's my friend, Pastor Jordan Work. Love you, buddy. Free from sin. I'm gonna read you something uh, that the psalmist wrote. Psalm 84. Psalm 84, verses 10 and 11. I like to read these together because sometimes people think, um, and I'll read 12. Some people think that they're, uh, They're separate thoughts, but they're not. They're not separate thoughts. The sons of Korah wrote this. Psalm 84 and verses 10, 11, and 12. Listen. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. So now he here's, in verse 11, he's explaining to you why he would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. He's explaining why one day in his courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. Why? Because the Lord God's a sun and shield and he bestows favor and honor and no good thing does he withhold, no good thing, does he withhold? No good thing does he withhold. From who? Those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. That's right. Trust in him, you will be blessed. He he does not withhold any good thing from people who walk uprightly. Not any good thing. So notice that. Holiness is the key to God's blessings. Listen to Job 36 and verse 11. This is Job 36, verse 11. If they listen and serve him, talking about God, they will complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures or pleasantness. You see that? Obey and serve him, and you'll spend your days in prosperity your years in pleasures. What does Isaiah 119 say? It says, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Notice, holiness is the key to the blessing of God. Having prayers answered, having the blessing come. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's the key right there. And all these other things, will be added unto you. So number seven, you have to live a holy life. Number eight, you need to have a focused request. This is big, man, big. Number eight, a focused request. Go to Philippians chapter four, I going to show you this. Put it in the comments, number eight, a focused request. This is, man, is this important. When I was in high school, a deacon from our church, friend of our family, was one of the teachers at the high school. He was a science teacher, Brother Paul Gripper. And um, he was kind enough to open up his classroom for students to come and pray and have morning prayer before first bell in a public high school. And we'd have, you know, maybe 15, 20 students in his classroom for morning prayer. And uh, I would be there every morning to pray. And um, we would go in there and, and we would kinda get in a circle and everybody would give their prayer requests for the morning, what they were believing for. And uh, so there were, there were these sisters that would come and these sisters, they must have come from some like really religious church. They would literally always come to, and nothing wrong with that, but it was like you could tell for that reason. They would always come to school like in their church clothes. It'd be like a, you know, it be in like a church dress with like high heels on. And and um, every morning, it without fail, every morning, these these sisters, when we would go around the circle and say, all right, what's everybody believing for? What prayer, What prayer request do you have? They would sit there every morning and count up their unspoken prayer requests. (laughs) Like, I have uh, six, no, wait, seven, eight. I have eight unspoken requests. And then, like, the next sister in line. I have three unspoken requests. And then the next sister in line. I have six. No, I have nine. I have nine unspoken. Every single day, they would have an unspoken prayer request. Now, if you've been in church for any period of time, you've probably come across the unspoken prayer request. And um, normally the reason someone has an unspoken request in church is because they're embarrassed about the nature of their prayer. You know, maybe they have like, uh, you know, I don't know what it would be. You know, so it's like something like that has to do with their reproductive organs or something. I mean, I don't know. They just don't want to say it in a public assembly. But notice this, I got I got ticked one 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 morning about just hearing this and hearing this. And I just got so irritated that I quoted this uh, scripture in Philippians chapter four and verse six, where Paul says to that church, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Let your requests be made known unto God. Well, if you're... um, if you're believing for an answer to prayer and you're asking somebody to uh, pray for you, the question I have for you is, how do we even know how to pray? You know, what if you tell me you've got an unspoken prayer request and it's, you know, uh, you know, I'm sitting there saying, oh yeah, I'm gonna agree with you. And then I start praying for healing. But healing's not what you need. It's that your wife is addicted to drugs and is, is, is whatever. And so you need deliverance. Your wife needs deliverance. Uh, but I, I'm I'm praying the wrong thing because I don't even know what to set my faith for. So now I'm just, it's a shot in the dark. And if we're gonna pray the word of God, if we're gonna stand on what the Bible says, because God answers his word, not our feelings, then we've gotta make our requests known. There's nothing wrong with putting your requests out there. So it's embarrassing. What does that mean? You have too much pride to approach God and ask a brother or sister in Christ to pray for you? If you need it, you need it. (laughs) I would rather let somebody know what I'm going through and get freedom from it than I would to just keep it in my life so I'm not just going to tell anybody about it. You know, no. No. And so it's very important that that we make our requests known unto God. Brian says almost two years of barrenness Fasted, given thanks daily for everything God has done, declared and believed scripturally with what it says about it. Tithed when led to. What else can we do? Well, Brian, just to answer a couple of your questions, tithing has nothing to do with opening somebody's womb, nor does giving. That, you know, what the Bible says, whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. So if you sow money, you're gonna get money. I would encourage you, Uh, Brian, next step is to attend some sort of a miracle meeting or find a minister that operates in the supernatural and have them lay their hands upon you and impart healing to the womb or whatever needs to be done and believe God for a miracle. We have so many wonderful um, testimonies of that taking place. So that's obviously, I'm encouraging your faith. That's not out of the realm of possibility. Nothing's impossible with God. You know, Jenna that works with us, you know, she Kept having miscarriages, and she—they told her she wouldn't carry a baby to full term, and all these different things. Now she's got two beautiful children. We've had so many other testimonies come in: can't have a baby, can't have a baby, can't have a baby, and God did it and brought it to pass. And now they're laughing with their testimony in their hand. So, um, I would say that's the next step that I would uh, take is to either go to some revival meetings where they're believing for the supernatural or find a man of God or a woman of God that will lay their hands on your wife and believe God for, uh, the womb to be touched and babies to come in Jesus mighty name. Um, let me go further with this. Now the next thing that we need to talk about, not just a focused request, that's number eight, but number nine, a bold request not, not only do we know what we're asking God for, we approach the throne boldly, the Bible says. That's found in the book of Hebrews uh, chapter four. I want you to see it with me. I'll read it to you. Hebrews chapter four. Look at this. Hebrews 4.16. The Bible says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So not only, now let me show you how the devil tricks people. He makes people think that they are unworthy to receive from God. He fills them with guilt, with shame. He makes them feel like they've got no business approaching God and asking him to do anything for them. Well, look at all you've done in your life and you actually feel okay with approaching God and asking him to do some miracle in your life, you're just lucky you're not in hell right now and going to hell. And that's how the devil makes you think. Tries to make you think that you don't have any right to approach God and ask him to do something supernatural for you. You know what's funny? Is that I've got three children and not one of them ever timidly comes up to me and goes, dad, Would it be okay if I had dinner with the rest of the family tonight? I mean, do you think it would be okay if I sat at the table and ate some of of your food as well? None of my children do that. They have an understanding that they're a part of the family. That they have a right to sit at the table just as much as any other person in the family. And they've got a right to the blessings of our house. They've got a right to everything dad provides. They don't say, do you mind if I sleep inside tonight instead of outside? Can I sleep under your roof, dad? Do you mind if I sleep under your roof in in one of the beds? Would that be too much? Would that put you out? That's how people pray. They ask God for things as though they have no right to them. Father God, if if you're willing, you know if if it would be all right with you, would you just send a little bit of that healing power, you know, uh, into my body? No, you're a part of the family. You've got a right to sit at the table. You have the right to the blessings of God that Jesus purchased for you. If you're in the family, you get the blessings of the family. And so when you approach Him to ask Him, He wants you to approach boldly and ask. But that's a sign of faith, by the way. That's a sign of faith. You know why my, my kids come and ask me and they'll sit down? We were talking about, it's, it's only September. And we're talking about Christmas last night. They're coming to me talking about what what's going on for Christmas. Guess how many days till Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Here's what I want for Christmas. Let me tell you something. The reason they're not ashamed to ask for things for Christmas is because they know I love them. I'm their father and that I have blessings prepared for them and that I love to bless them. So you know what they do? They boldly ask me for what they want. And I'm happy about that. I'm happy about that. My children boldly ask me for what they want. You know, one of the things the devil tries to do by destroying homes, by taking the father out of homes, if you can't trust a father you can see, you'll never trust a father you can't see. And so the devil doesn't want children to have a good view of fathers because he doesn't want them to have a relationship with a heavenly father. And that's what I love. When you have fathers that'll stand up and do what the word of God says. Now I've got children that know what it is to approach their father boldly and ask for what they're want and believing for. They'll have the ability to do that with God, their father, the way he wants them to boldly approach the throne. Boldly approach the throne. That's number nine. Number 10. We need to pray in Jesus' name. Pray in Jesus' name. That's number 10. Make sure you're using the power of Jesus' name. Listen to uh, John chapter 16. John chapter 16 and verse 23. Listen to this. Jesus said, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. See that? Ask the Father in my name. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. It's not just like a, the, the way to end your prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. That's not. It's just not just the way to end a prayer. It is what we're doing that Jesus commanded us to do that would lead us to answered prayer. Ask the Father in my name. Look at verse 24. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Notice that. You will receive, not you might, you will receive when you ask the Father in my name. Use the rights that you have in the name of Jesus. Use your legal, heavenly right to stand in the name of Jesus and watch what God will do for you. That's number 10. Number 11, here's a big one. Always put God first. This is huge. I'm gonna take you to a a little known verse of scripture in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 14, dealing with uh, the nation of Israel, but in this in this passage or in this chapter, dealing with uh, idolatry and the elders of the of the nation of Israel that were living in idolatry. So, in the 14th chapter. I want you to see this. Ezekiel writes in the uh, 14th chapter, in the third verse, listen to this. Well, actually, let me read verses one through three so you have a little bit of context. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me. Verse three, son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Think about that right there. Should I let myself be consulted by them? So God is saying here, you got gods before me, you have idols, you living in idolatry, why would I ever allow you to consult me about anything when you've got other gods in your life, when you've not put me first? And let me just say this to you. Say, well, I'm never that guy. I don't have any little statues in my house. I'm not worshiping false gods. I'm not being pulled out uh, to doing, uh, you know, uh, you know, rituals and pagan. No, it's not about that. Anything that is set before God becomes a God in your life. Anything that takes priority above God becomes a God in your life. Do you realize there are people who have allowed sports to become a God in their life? There are parents that are teaching their children that travel baseball is more important than God because they skip church on Sundays to go do travel football, travel baseball, travel soccer, you know what you're teaching your child when you do that? You're teaching your child that uh, the house of God, the things of God are not as important. They're not as important as football, as baseball, as basketball, whatever, soccer. And what we'll do is we'll put things. We've got a lake house. You know, there's in the summertime, you know, we skip church on Sundays. We go up to the lake house because we just have more family time. Really? so you're showing your family that the lake house that the lake house is more important spending time on the jet skis grilling out is more important than the things of god and that's what happens is that we put other things in front of god and they start to take priority over god well you know i work a lot so i don't really have a lot of time to go to church really so you've made your job, your God. Well, you know, my boss wants me to work on Sundays, So, you know, I get those extra hours in, get that overtime. You know, I just got, you know, I'm just in a season right now. You know, everybody always says that I'm just in a season right now. You know, I'm just in a season of it where I'm, I'm just doing a lot of work right now. we just, you know, Oh really? You're in a season of that because you've chosen to be in a season of it. That's why. And some people say, you know, well, you know, I'm just in that place right now where I'm doing, doing a lot of overtime hours. I, just really I haven't had a lot of time to get to church. Okay, well, good luck trusting in your corporation for your future. Tr- good luck trusting in your government. Good luck trusting in natural men, natural things, and putting God last and putting your company first. Good luck putting the lake house first. Good luck putting sports first. And God says, should I allow myself to be consulted by them? Should I allow myself to be consulted by them? The answer there obviously is no. I should not allow myself. They don't even see me as the one true God. So why would I allow them to ask me to answer their prayers? Not doing it. Put God first. No idols. Nothing above him in your life. Number 12, this is an interesting one. Bless the poor. Proverbs 21, let me read it to you. If you'll bless the poor, it actually, according to scripture, God hears the prayers of people who continuously and consistently bless the poor. No question about it. When you bless the poor, when you take care of those that are hurting, those that are broken, those that are without, God honors you for honoring them. God honors you for honoring them. What does the Bible say in Proverbs 21? Well, let's look at the 13th verse. The Bible says, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. You see that? So the Lord says how you're treating them is how I'm going to treat you. If you close your ears to the poor, then God closes his ears to your prayers. And that's not, that obviously that's not what we're looking for. If you'll be generous to the poor, God blesses you, God hears your prayers. In fact, did you know the Bible says that uh, whoever is generous to the poor, whoever blesses the Lord the poor, the Lord will repay them. Jesus said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. If you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So Jesus takes it personally when you bless the poor. He said, when you do it to them, it's like you're doing it to me personally. And he honors people who take care of the poor, who bless the poor, which is why we make such a move to do it. That's why this ministry makes such a move to bless those that are hurting, hungry, and poor, because we know what the Bible says. We know what the Bible says. Let me give you the final one before we pray. Number 13. We've got to have proper motives in prayer. Proper motives in prayer. I'm jumping over to the book of James again. James chapter four. This is number 13 now. We've got to have proper motives. Listen to this now. The Bible says, and I'll start with verse 1, James 4, 1, and we'll read through 3. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. Verse three, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Do you see that? He said, you ask and you don't receive. And the reason is because you ask with wrong motives. You ask in selfishness. You know, people look at, uh, look at God. If you look at God, like he's an ATM, you've looked at God the wrong way. Will God bless you? You better believe it, abundantly. But when people only, see here's what God hates. God hates when people don't care anything about having a relationship with him or doing what he wants them to do or what he's asked them to do, but then they are still always coming to him with request after request after request. Do this for me, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to obey your word. I'm not going to do any of that. I just want you to do all the things I want you to do. God's not an ATM. He doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. And he said here, what you're seeing is people who have wrong motives because all they want is to fulfill their own lusts. They've got no desire to bless anybody. They've got no desire to operate in the kingdom. They've got no desire to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. They just want to fulfill the their lusts. That's it. And the word of God says you ask and you don't receive for that reason. So what can we do? Let me hit this. What can we do to not be that person? What we do is we keep ourselves in a place of kingdom motivation. Now this is huge. I want you to get this in your spirit before we pray today. Kingdom motivation. Even write that phrase in the comment section. Kingdom motives. Kingdom motivation. What does that mean? It means that is kingdom over culture, Kingdom over me, kingdom over it. What, what did I what did I tell you a few uh, weeks ago? We had a phrase that we put into the comments section hashtag kingdom slice. If If you know what what that is that we were talking about, we were referencing the fact that it will be what I do for God's kingdom, is going to be the biggest slice of the pie in my life. What goes out of my life for God's kingdom is going to be the biggest slice of the pie in my life. From everything to my time, to my giving, everything. Everything. So more money will go to God's kingdom this year than will go to my mortgage more more money will go to God's kingdom this year than will go to my car payment. More money will go to God's kingdom this year than will go towards my vacation. Anything, anything. In fact, I mean, I'm, I know many of you are believing to be there. Good, keep believing, keep pressing. And I'm telling you, I've made up my mind to live that way. And so we're there at the place where far more money goes into giving, into giving than it does my mortgage. And I have a mortgage, You know, when I tell you, it's like, I'm not paying like, you know, $800 a month on rent. I'm talking about, I have a mortgage to pay. (laughs) And far more money goes to the kingdom than goes to that payment. Far more. And I've got a nice car. God's blessed me. But far more goes to the kingdom than the mortgage and car combined, than insurance combined. All of it. You put it all together, including groceries and going on vacation, any other expense that leaves, far more goes to God's kingdom. Far more. Why? Because, see, I want my motivation to be right. I want my motivation to be right. If God is going to bless me, and he is, then I ask myself, all right, if he's going to bless me, what does he see when he looks at my heart? In fact, write that question in the comments. What does God see when he looks at my heart? What does God see when he looks at my heart? Does he look at a person who is quick to consume it upon their own lusts? Does he look at a person that's just making themselves the priority? Or does he see a person that has made the kingdom their priority? Does he see a person that makes his plans, his agenda, their priority? And if let me tell you something. If he sees that, there is no limit to the level with which God can bless you. No limit. If God sees a person when he looks at your heart that puts the kingdom first, his plans first, his agenda first, the harvest first, there is nothing, nothing that he cannot do for you and will not do for you. Why? Your motivation's in the right place. Your motivation is right. And that's what God's looking for. What does God see when he looks at my heart? I'm believing for answered prayers. I know you're believing for answered prayers. This, These keys, I hope you you stuck around for this whole thing. And it'll be on the podcast as well. Maybe you're listening to this on the podcast. But hear what I'm saying. You say, well, that's 13 things is a lot. Well, you understand that uh, man and woman, human beings are a complex thing. They're complex beings. And there are multiple areas where the enemy will try to creep in and hinder you from receiving what God has for you. So you gotta be aware. And that's what what the apostle Paul said. We're not ignorant of the devil's devices. We are not ignorant of the devil's devices. And so I'm gonna pray for you today because I know you have prayers that you're believing to be answered. So I wanna pray and ask God to open up the windows of heaven over your house, over your life, over your family, and bless you abundantly, and bring those answers to prayers quickly, In Jesus' name. Father, touch your people today. I pray, Lord, supernaturally, that you would reach down your hand and touch every person who's watching and listening. They've got requests, they're believing, they're standing. We need miracles, Lord. We need divine intervention. We need it in America. And we ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would touch us. First of all, touch us at the family level, touch our children, our grandchildren, touch us personally. It starts at home. Touch us, set us on fire, give us boldness, give us hunger at home. And then, Lord, touch our local churches. Bless our churches where your power is flowing in each city, state, town. And let it flow out from there. Touch our cities and touch our states. Let revival flow like it never has in these final moments of time. And then, Lord, we ask you to touch our nation by the power of your spirit. Let revival spring forth in this nation and throughout the rest of the world. Lord, touch us globally one more time before Jesus comes back. We thank you, Lord, for it. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' wonderful name. Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. If you believe it, throw some hands up in the comments, throw some fire in the comments section, and, uh, and, and stand with me believing prayers are gonna be quickly answered in Jesus' name. Once again, I'm in Logan, West Virginia this week. Word of Life Church, all the details are online. We'd love to see you. If you have any way to get here, get here. Before we go, I'm encouraging you today. What is it? Today is the 20th of September. I'm encouraging you in these in, as we're headed into this final quarter of the year, sow a seed today by faith. Sow a seed. Maybe partner with us if you've not yet stood. That you begin to partner with this ministry. If you'd like to see all that we're doing and become a part of it, go to miracleword.com, click the partner tab, take a look at all that we're doing around the world, and then stand with us. Fill out the form and be a part of the Victory Tribe. Watch what God will do in your life, watch the testimonies that will spring forth in your life as you stand with a ministry that's seeing souls saved, people healed and delivered and set free through the power of the Holy Ghost. Not ashamed. Not ashamed of the gospel. Thank you. Thank you. There's multiple ways you can sow a seed. If you'd like to sow a one-time seed, click the Give page as you go to the website. If you're watching on Facebook or Twitter, you can type hashtag donate into the comment section to sow a seed. And then there's all kinds of ways to give on the website, from Zelle to Cash App, PayPal. You can use your credit or debit card. You can now use cryptocurrency to give. There's all kinds of different ways to to sow seeds. And uh, we say thank you to everybody that is sowing. And we're going to bless you again this month uh, with a gift for uh, sowing your seed. If you'd like to receive that gift, all you have to do is go to miracleword.com forward slash offer. In fact, I believe the offer is even shown on the give page that when you click on it after you sew, it'll take you to the place where you can fill out the form. We'll send it to you. It's our gift to say thank you for standing with us as we're reaching out to touch the world with revival and see people changed by the power of God. Now tonight, I'm back on the East Coast, so tonight, service will be live again online at 7 p.m. Jump on with us. It's tonight, tomorrow, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. on YouTube and Facebook. Don't miss these services. If you can get here, get here, man. It's going to be powerful. I cannot wait to see what God's going to do. Yesterday was awesome. And um, I love you guys a lot. Thank you for hanging with me, spending time with me today. I'll see you again tonight and then all all week, I'm here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right here in the morning at 10.30 on uh, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. So don't miss it. I love you guys. Have a powerful day and I'll see you again tonight. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.